She is the author of just-released book, Empathic Mastery, one of EFT International's 18 master trainers in the U.S., and a mentor and healer for other highly sensitive, intuitive women. Instead of becoming a biological mother, she serves as the appointed fairy godmother for numerous children and adults in her life. As a creative artist, writer, and psychic, she realized that navigating the intensity of this world herself would be more than enough to manage without adding children to the equation. The choice to forego parenthood has allowed her to focus on her mission and purpose, supporting lightworkers, creatives, and empathic entrepreneurs to use their abilities for good is her greatest passion. Firecrackers, let's welcome Jen Moore. Welcome to the Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. I'm Isabel, your host and founder and firebrand of The Uprising Spark, a digital platform that offers life coaching products and services for modern, independent, child-free women. Our aim is to build a strong female community and to connect empowered women around the globe. So Jen, one of the things that I love the most about the email you sent me was that you are an appointed fairy godmother. Yes, I am. <laughs> what do you So can you explain us what you mean by that? Certainly. So at a certain point in time, I've always had a lot of children around me because I really love children. I just knew that they weren't for me. And I also really love being able to carry a sense of magic and possibility. So I'm both the weird auntie for my four nephews and a fairy godmother for a number of children. But I had a lot of children over the years who at a certain point would just basically kind of identify me in that role. And instead of it being that I was like, hey, do you want me to be your fairy godmother? It was more that these children in my world would sort of be like, you're like my fairy godmother. And so over time, this sort of role, it just kept on kind of rolling forward. And now not only do I have children and actually now adults who I've been a fairy godmother for since they were kids, but I also have adults who have decided that that's my role in their life, that I'm here to sort of be that extra sense of magical possibility and to be able to support and help. So being a fairy godmother for me is very much about showing up in this way that allows for magical possibility with people and encourages creativity, encourages a sense of wonder, and also is a place where somebody can get support and just be witnessed and seen. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So you, you are actually one of those souls that has come to this plane of existence to serve others, basically. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, to, and also to make beauty, to create beauty, to enjoy beauty, to behold beauty, to experience a sense of wonder and delight. So for me, service is joyful and playful and fun. And that's part of why calling myself a fairy or being called a fairy godmother fits for me. Because life is just, it's so brief and uncertain that we can't take it too seriously. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Yeah. And you're also an empath. Yes, I sure am. And you work with other people who are empaths. 
I do work with other people who are empaths, yes. And I, um, I realized for myself that I was an empath when I was in my, my teens. And it, but it wasn't until, um, God, it wasn't until a number about 10 years ago that I finally put two and two together. And I realized that almost everybody I was working with was highly sensitive and empathic. I was helping them to recognize things because I was seeing people who were experiencing a lot of anxiousness and worry and fear and, and stalling and spinning their wheels and getting stuck, not able to do things. And I would start asking questions and nine times out of 10, the answers would be, do you think it's possible that this stuff may not even be your own? That it may be that you're picking up on the stress around you? And just that revelation for so many people was so freeing. And then finally, it dawned on me like, wait a second, the thing we all have in common is that we are empaths, that we're the kind of people who pick up all the thoughts, the feelings, the energy, the emotions, the sensations, just all of the stuff that is going on in the world around us. I completely identify with that because I'm also an empath. And before I understood that, I was just regarded as a highly sensitive child, mm-hmm. you know? And, and sometimes I would wonder, like, what is wrong with me? It's really hard to explain this to people who don't feel the same way. Absolutely. I can't tell you the number of times that I've been told and I've heard so many of my clients tell me and people I've worked with over the years tell me that, you know, it's like we, we're, we're told, you know, you're overreacting get over it. You're being too sensitive. You're making too big a deal out of it. You've got, you've got an overactive imagination. Just let it go. Stop worrying about it. I mean, I'm sure you could add on to the litany. Every single one of us is told this same thing. And I actually believe we're the canaries in the coal mine. I believe that we're the ones who are feeling what other people are trying to suppress because there's so much emotional bypassing and shutdown in our culture and on this planet, and we're the ones who just can't not feel it. And do you think that um, this had any part on your decision to become child-free? You just went to exactly where I was going. <laughs> Gee, you must be an empath and read my mind. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. I, especially as I became more aware of myself, I'm one of those people who... I assumed I was going to have kids when I was a child. I assumed that I was going to go the standard track. I played with baby dolls way after it was considered uncool to play with baby dolls. You know, I had a a friend and we would still play dolls at like, you know, I don't know, like 11 or 12. And I imagined I'd be a mom, but at a certain point when I was 23 and I was really struggling with a lot of a lot of anxiousness and a lot of empathic overwhelm I made a very big decision to quit smoking cigarettes and I decided when I when I decided to quit smoking cigarettes it brought me to my absolute knees because cigarette smoking was giving me um some empathic protection it was actually acting as sort of a smoke screen and was acting as a buffer the irony of it is that I think that sm- cigarette smoking works in the short term, but in the long term, it weakens our protective shields and filters. But what happened for me was that as I, as I stopped smoking, 
And I started to connect with my inner self and I started to really learn what I was actually feeling. I knew I needed time to not be a parent. So I decided I would wait until I was the age that my mother was when she had me because my mom actually had children, especially back in the early 60s, very late. So I, my mother was 27 when she gave birth to me in 1962, which, you know, so my mother was very much an advocate for birth control and for choice way before other people were talking about it. So I just figured I would wait five years and I'd prepare myself and I would get ready and I would do my own inner work before I was going to consider becoming, having a baby. And it wasn't, and I, you know, long story short, I ended up in one relationship after another relationship and didn't quite find somebody quite suitable. And then in my early thirties, I was engaged and I was still assuming that I was going to become a parent. And when that relationship went south, I went to graduate school instead. And during the time I was in graduate school, I ended up in a relationship with somebody who had a toddler. And I was already leaning away from being a parent at that point in time. I was already getting pretty clear that my destiny was not to be a parent because I was so sensitive, because I needed more sleep than average people did. And I was already being the support system for friends who were having babies and scraping moms off the ceiling when they were just absolutely maxing out. Because one thing I was seeing was that the information out there about what it means to be a mother in this day and age is is very woefully missing how stressful it is. Yeah. And I knew from watching the women around me who were you know losing it, just really having an incredibly hard time and being a resource for them and giving them support, I knew I was not cut out for this job. Like I knew that I needed way more sleep than than a mother does or can get. I knew that I was emotionally volatile. I also have a friend who is one of the most extreme, or had a friend who is one of the most extreme empaths I knew who um, had had a child. And I watched her, she's somebody who struggled with, with mental illness and bipolar issues and a lot of depression. And I watched her as she vacillated back and forth between trying to be a mother for her daughter and then going into mental institutions and having to give her daughter up to her sister for a while and going back and forth with custody of her child because of her sensitivity. And I could really see the price of being so sensitive and how the needs of this little being for some of us just is, is more than I think we can handle. And I'm so grateful for myself that having had a chance to babysit for nephews, having had a chance to be around small children, I realized that I, while I love doing it part-time, full-time was not for me at all. No, I completely agree with you. Uh, when you, you know, I think that motherhood is very romanticized in society in general. Oh. Uh, uh, yes. And you see it in the ads, you see it in, you know, everywhere. Like you see all the mothers and happy with their children. And you also see it in social media. Everything that mothers post are their happy moments with their kids. And, you know, everybody does the same thing in social media, mothers or, or, or not mothers. Yes. Uh, but 
the reality of being a parent is completely different ballgame. It's just too much responsibility. It is very stressful. And um, I mean, I don't see myself as a parent for the same reason that you're mentioning. I feel my energy draining every single day just by interacting with other people, you know, mm-hmm. and not in a bad way, because it's something that I, I like doing and I, and I like to give my energy to some, to the tasks that I have to do and also talk to other people. But when I need to recharge, I have to be alone. And sometimes it takes me two or three days in a row in order for me to, re- to recharge. Um, and you can't do that when you have a kid. You can't put the mm-hmm. kid away, like tell the kid, you go away for three days and then you come back and I'll be fine. No, you can't, you can't get rid of no. them. No, you can't get rid of them. And I just finished, I just launched a book and I was wired. I, w- I had been sprinting to the end of the launch for about three weeks, about three weeks prior to that. And then finally we got through the launch and I was so jacked, like from all of the, all of the work that I was just still on a, running on adrenaline for a few days after. But when I crashed, I crashed so hard that I've been, I'm only now coming back around. And if I had a child or children, I, I, I just know that not only would I be emotionally wrecked at this point in time, but I would probably be actually getting very physically sick. Because what I've also found with my own body is that If I'm not listening to my boundaries and if I'm not respecting what I should or should not be doing, my body will do it for me. And it has a tendency to do it in two ways. I either have a Lyme flare up because I'm a Lyme survivor or I come down with pneumonia. And so for me, being a parent is just, I knew I didn't have the spoons. And I love what you're talking about with this idea of you know, you can give your energy to somebody, but then you can conserve your resources and you can recharge and reboot. And I definitely have to be really mindful of the amount of energy I have to share and what's available at any given time and not put myself in a situation where I'm just constantly depleting myself. And unfortunately, the way our society is set up, I have just seen so many moms in that role because I have been as a fairy godmother and a dear friend to many people, I have been the confidant that sees the really, really dark and dirty, like just the crazy stuff that happens when you're the parent of children. And especially I have a number of friends who have children on the autism spectrum, who are special needs kids, who are really, and where it's not just that you have a child who has needs that you have to take care of, but where you're constantly putting out fires. So I'm just so grateful that one, I recognized my limitations. Two, I married somebody who has the same agreement with me and was on the exact same page from the get-go. And then four, or no, three, that I did not fall into the trap of trying to follow, you know, please my mother-in-law or meet the needs of society in some way to become a parent. You're listening to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. There is something that you mentioned uh, in 
one of our, you know, exchanges as well. And it is that you told your husband or your future husband at the time, an hour into your first phone call that you didn't want to have kids. Exactly. That was like straight up, like, I don't want kids. And he said, I don't want kids either. And that was like, it's meant to be basically. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We, I, I, we had been corresponding for a couple, we'd met online and we'd been corresponding for a couple weeks. And then he called me on the phone. We talked for a while. Then I actually got up, we went out to dinner and then we got back on the phone. So, and then, and literally the first thing out of my mouth in our second half of our first phone conversation was, I don't want kids. And I said, and if that's something that really matters to you, we shouldn't even start. And he's like, I don't want kids either. So then I said, when can we meet? And we have been together ever since. And our joke is that our four nephews are the very best form of birth control that we have ever experienced. (laughs) Because there is nothing like having two screaming little boys, like running all over your house and wreaking havoc and asking you, Oh, Jenny, is there anything to eat? I'm hungry. And I'm like, what? I fed you two hours ago. What is your problem? <laughs> yes. Well, I don't have nephews myself. I'm, I really want to have nephews. My sister wants to have children. So I'm hoping for at least one because I want to be the cool aunt, but I just want to give it back whenever it needs to be fed or <laughs> disciplined, basically. Exactly. <laughs> and there is something being, I love the idea of being part of both an extended biological family and also an extended soul family. And that's part of, for me, what being a fairy godmother is also about, is that there are so many children that need love from different sources. And I really believe that those of us who choose to be childless have an opportunity to give support to mothers and also to children in a way that people who are focused on their own children can't. And I know for me that not being the mother of one or two or three biological children has allowed me to nurture so many more people than I possibly could have if I was nurturing or mothering my own biological children. Because I think for, I know there are women who have the capacity to do both, but I know in my case it was either or that I could either be the parent of a few children and have all of my energy and focus on that, or devote it to my career as an artist and as an author and as a mentor and a trainer and a fairy godmother for all kinds of people. And that just feels so rich and abundant. Yeah. And I think you just t- touched into something that is very, very important. I mean, I I don't think there's a lot of people even putting this idea out there, but I had heard this before from one of my dear child-free friends. And it is that child-free people, I mean, parents should use child-free people as a resource to help their kids in areas or things that parents cannot because of this relationship that they have. And we were talking specifically about birth control. I remember well, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, some parents avoid the conversation and then because they think if they avoid it, the kids are not going to have sex, but we know that's not going to happen. And right. then you have unwanted pregnancies and it's just, you know, um, so I think we child-free people could really become a, re- uh, a good resource for, for parents, not to tell them how to parent, Mm-mm. But to to give them to give the kids advice and guidance and things that their parents um, are not capable of or don't know how oh, it's to just awkward yeah 
Well, I wish I, I wish I would have had that conversation. Like my mom and my dad, they never sat down with me to have the, the, the bees and the birds and the flower conversation. They never did. Yeah. Everything I learned about sex, I learned from my friends and they were my age. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> you know, this is, this is just one example. Uh, um, yeah. I know that many parents are very shy to talk about this kind of things with their kids, but I mean, it's important. This kind Absolutely. of discussions are important. Well, and interestingly, you and I come from sort of opposite sides of the coin when it comes to sex education, because my mother was a sex educator. My mother, my mother, as when I was in, I was like eight years old, nine years old, my mom started to go back to work and was working for Planned Parenthood. And so as I was saying to you earlier, um, you know, I grew up with Margaret Sanger, who was one of the, the people who really was one of the first advocates for women's reproductive health rights and for birth control. I grew up, and for family planning, I grew up in a family where Margaret Sanger was like the hero. So I was actually the kid who taught everybody about where babies came from because I knew, I knew about sex by the time I was in kindergarten and I understood how it worked. So, which was a very unusual thing because there was one other person who actually became my best friend because we were the only two children in our school who knew how babies were made. So that, but that freedom gave me this awareness of choice from a very early age that I'm incredibly grateful for. And it has put me in a role that I've been in literally since I've been eight or nine years old, where I have been a sex educator. And my and it's so it's very very natural for me to be the person that children come to to talk about periods, to talk about birth control, to talk about and and also things like my stepdad is driving me crazy, you know, mom really mom really is doing this thing and it's making me nuts. So I think positioning ourselves or putting ourselves not only in the position or the place of being supportive to the parents, but also letting the children know that we are that we are there as an ally for them, as a non-judgmental, supportive person who they can turn to. And I see that as a relationship we start to cultivate very young. I actually have one of my, one of, I've got one fairy godchild who's three and a half now, who I've been working with since he was in utero. And then I've got another one, she's about six, and she and I are already friended. Um, we get, we're friended through Facebook so that she can, I'm one of the sanctioned adults that she can have messages on Facebook with so that there's this cultivated relationship so that by the time she gets to be, you know, impossible at the age of 11 or 12, because this child will be, she is so filled with piss and vinegar, it's not even funny, um, that, you know, her mom will know that there's this person that she can send her to and say, go talk to Jen because you're driving me nuts. I wish I would have had a fairy godmother when I was in my teens. I was horrible. (laughs) But but yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's funny how you think back as, as an adult now and you're like, when I was a kid, I, well, in my case, I didn't have that. I didn't feel I had the the support from any adult. You know what I mean? So it was like, it was, that's why I just, I had like my friends to rely on, but you can't, if you're 12, you can't rely on your friends if they're also 12. You know what I mean? That's right. It doesn't make any sense, but yeah, yeah it's I the, mean, the blind leading the blind for exactly. sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. Um, so you just released a book. It's called I did. Empathic Mastery, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Tell me about that book. So Empathic Mastery is a two-part book, and the subtitle is A Five-Step 
program or a five-step system to go from emotional hot mess to thriving success. And the, the book is broken into two parts. The first part explains what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, why so many of us are like this at this point, and how these things tend to either we tend to be born this way or circumstances in our life cause us to be more become more sensitive. And then the second part of the book breaks it down into a system that I've been working with for the last like really honestly, since I was probably, good Lord, for like the last 47, 48 years, since I was a small child, really, that I've learned what works for me. Because um, so many of the solutions that I ran into, especially as a younger person, are those stupid solutions of like, oh, just let it go. Just put up a bubble of pink light around you and everything will be fine. And the truth is, everything is not fine. We don't have the capacity to just let it go. And so what I discovered is that a lot of programs and solutions go straight for the putting up a shield of light or a bubble of protection, but they don't necessarily look at how are we already picking, how are we already impacted by what we've picked up. And so what I discovered is that we really need to first recognize what's ours and not ours. And even before we can do that, we have to recognize that we're in a state of distress. Like, I don't know if you had this experience, but I was so used to being in the hot water that it didn't even, I did not know what it was like to not be in a state of hijacked fight or flight stress until I started to experience what it's like to not be that way. And so just knowing we're stressed out is the first step. And then within sort of the second half of that first step is identifying what is mine, what's not mine. So the first step is recognize. The second step is release, which is all about how do we let go of the stuff that is no longer serving us? How do we, how do we unravel a nervous system that has been high strung and you know, vibrating at a hundred miles an hour since before we were born? And how do we really stop carrying around everybody else's stuff? And those two steps, in my experience, are absolutely necessary before we can start creating protective filters and shields, before we can start establishing effective boundaries in our, in our lifestyle and our world that will keep us safer. And so that's why the, the third step is protect, not the first. And then from protect comes connect, which is all about drawing in positive energy. I, as you might imagine, calling myself a fairy godmother, I'm definitely very spiritually oriented and rather woo. So I really see it as the universe, nature abhors a vacuum. And if we want to not be picking up negativity, what we need to do is be connecting to divine source to our higher power to that holy presence however you me anybody experiences it and then so connect is what it's all about of refilling ourselves with something positive and then beyond that comes the final step which is act which has to do with really looking at our choices our behavior our actions and and choosing to approach our life in a really different way especially in a way that allows us to be deliberate and in a way that allows us to be mindful of when we have the resources and when we don't, which 
in a way, this whole conversation is very much about the fifth step of empathic mastery, which is you and I both made the choice to and the and took the action or or the inaction to decide we were going to be childless because we understood the resources we had available to work with and knew that it was not the best use of our resources to opt to become a parent. Well, that speaks a lot to me. I would be very happy to get one of my one of your copies. So where could I find them? Well, you can go to empathicmasterybook.com and that will take you to the Amazon link in the United States. And for people, so that's empathicmasterybook.com. And for just general information, you can jump on over to empathicmastery.com. And if you are in another country and you're listening to this, if you just search for Jennifer Moore Empathic Mastery in your Amazon browser, I promise you it's in every, it's only in English, but it is available in every country. Awesome. All right. I'm going to leave the links down here so that you guys, our listeners can also check it out if you want to grab a copy. And uh, well, Jen, it's been such a pleasure to have you here. We're running out of time, unfortunately. But before I let you go, is there anything else you would like to add? Oh, yes. If you are listening to this and you are contemplating or you feel within you that not, that being a mom is not your path, I just want to say, please honor that. There are so many things that you could be doing with your life and so many people that you can help if you honor the calling of that. And I just think that we live in a society where there's so much pressure to go against our truth. And I've watched the, and I've seen the women who do that and there's a very high price and it's not worth it. And in my personal experience, there isn't a price for being childless. Like, it's not like life is less because we don't have children. If anything, it's better. It's more. It's more exquisite. It's more incredible. It's more glorious. And so, like, rock on and keep doing the good things you're doing. That's great. Well, thank you very much again for your time. And uh, so, please keep in touch. And thanks Absolutely. Total pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. We hope you tune in next week for our newest episode. And since we love hanging out with you, please be sure to follow us on social media at The Honest Uproar and visit our website at thehonestuproar.com. If you like what you heard, feel free to share with your fierce, child-free firecracker friends. Until next time, Continue fueling your inner fire.